Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial pursuit, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs all around the globe seeking to do the same thing you are. If you want to know more about this program or this podcast or want to get barraged by a lot of annoying pop-ups, check out our website, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Yeah, buddy, welcome to the Lifestyle Business Podcast, where we believe building a business is the ideal way to create more freedom and more opportunity for you, your family, and those around you. Today I'm joined, as is per the usual, by my co-host, my captain, a man whose tweets are auto-tagged, Bala. Welcome to the program, Ian. If you guys stick around to the end of the episode, we're going to talk about new ways we're using to manage our growing remote team and how we're getting transcripts of everything that goes down in our organization. Welcome to the program. I mean, two sides of the globe again. How's the weather there in San Diego? Actually, pretty crappy, man. It's been raining for the past couple of days. So what's going on in San Diego? Just give us some brief news updates because it's been a couple weeks since we've talked to the audience. We're doing a lot of moving around. We are moving offices probably later this week. I've been up in the warehouse kind of sorting out some product line issues and some personnel issues. That's been real fun. Yeah, we're just crushing it as usual. we got a couple uh, new product lines that we're working on here in San Diego. We're just going for it, man. You've been calling yourself Mr. Revenue. What's the revenue report? How do you think we're tracking on that goal to get to $1.6 million this year? We're doing pretty well. I don't think we're quite there yet, but we will be in the next few months. Actually, we just finished working on a pretty baller project for Google, so that's pretty cool. It's going to be a good year. A lot of interesting things going on in my end in Asia. We've got a lot of plans cooking up with the guys over in Bali. The mastermind group that we started over at the Tropical MBA blog has been pretty freaking sweet. You can attest to that, yeah? We've probably had about five or six calls now? Yeah, Sunday was awesome. In fact, every Sunday is awesome. I really look forward to that. And this week I got off the call thinking like, man, it was just super high quality. I got a lot of value out of it. Absolutely. If you have the opportunity to set up a mastermind call, we're going to be taking our mastermind to the next level and implementing a private forum where we can chat during the week and sort of get prepped up and share things that we've talked about on our hour-long calls during the week uh, weekends. That's been just fantastic. We're planning on shutting down the Bad Lads Resort in August and having a internet on entrepreneurs invite only meetup to share information about tax preparation, offshoring, internet marketing, living in Asia, all kinds of stuff. We're all going to fly in for that one. That should be a good time. And semester number two, the one that David was the winner for, ended up going so well for Sean, the owner of Bad Lads. He's going to be sponsoring semester five of the Tropical MBA to continue marketing that resort, one of my favorite places on earth. So I couldn't be happier about that. And we now have four Tropical MBA alums. You know, that's one of these things, Ian, you just sort of like start on a large you don't even know what it's going to be and all of a sudden it's just turned into this thing. I don't even know how to describe it but I'm starting to see it as more of our mission there is if we could turn our business into this vehicle for all these people to achieve these interesting lifestyles and to start these lifestyle businesses. I don't see any reason Ian why we shouldn't figure out within the next two years we want to help 25 people build lifestyle businesses. Yeah totally and it's one of the most interesting things to talk about when we talk about our business and I always bring it up I know you do too and people are just blown away in terms of the opportunity for for us and the opportunity for everybody involved. We got three new iTunes reviews this week, and I just want to thank everybody so much for taking the time. I know iTunes makes it so hard 
for people to review our podcast. So we got some just incredible kind words from JT1120. It's a relevant, entertaining five stars from Angel Ortiz says our podcast is heaven sent. Thank you, Angel. You're heaven sent too. And Plumber4200. And I believe that's Patrick from Raleigh. Patrick. Patrick from Raleigh took time out of his day to write an incredible review. The best lifestyle design, business, and internet podcast, period. Thank you, Patrick. We're going to try to bring it today. One quick final thing. Joel Runyon took our quick tip from last week, that Pro HDR app, and totally pimped out a blog post with photos that he took, and he said he's having a great time taking photos. Uh, we're going to have some more HDR photos, because I'm back in the Philippines now. I'm in Subic Bay right now. Absolutely witnessed an incredible sunset last night. I'll put some of those things up on the blog. The last couple weeks, Ian, I've had the opportunity to hang around with a bunch of millionaire minds, a bunch of millionaires, people who've built that wealth. In our journey, and a lot of our listeners' journey is about transitioning from that worker mindset to the entrepreneurial class mindset. And those things start, all these changes, they start when you're an employee and you start to make these mindset transitions. And you can join the entrepreneur class, Ian, well before you have your own business. A great example of that is a lot of our employees are in the entrepreneurial class and they will eventually have their own businesses some days. Being an entrepreneur is a lot about mindset, not necessarily needing to have a business. There are things that you can do with your mindset that will get you moving in that direction. This first one, Ian, is something I always think about when I think of you. And this is a lesson that you've helped me learn because I definitely have a working class mindset when it comes to spending money. And so here's the first millionaire success principle. Do not spend your money and take 100% responsibility for your finances. Whereas the working class person will think about that $20,000 car in terms of, well, I make $2,000 a month and I can afford $300 for a car payment. The entrepreneurial class person will look at their total net worth and think about what percentage a car would take out of their net worth. Give us some thoughts. Right. In your total financial guru, let us know how you deal with finances and what makes you successful. We've done a lot of evolution and I'm much better financially now than I was five years ago. And a lot of that's due to you. What did you see the differences in the things that you saw in me in my transition uh, to get a little bit better with finances? When you say guru, first of all, what you really mean to say is cheap. And yes, thank you. I'll take that. <laughs> yes, I am very cheap. But one of the reasons I'm cheap, I guess you could also say a nicer word might be frugal is because it matters so much because it's so hard to make it and it's so easy to spend it. What I see a lot of is recreational spending on the weekends. People just spending, spending, spending. It's so hard to earn it. Talking in terms of cars, I think that's a real concrete thing because everybody needs cars. Everybody wants cars. You know, you look at somebody, say they have $50,000 in the bank, which was just a lot of money. It's a lot of money. The average new car, even like a subcompact or something like that, fourteen dollars to $18,000. You think about that. That's like almost half of your net worth, $50,000, almost half your net worth wrapped up in an automobile. And it's not even a cool automobile, right? right? No, it could be a cool automobile. But my point here is that's $20,000 and you only have $50,000. But the problem is that the most of the working class looks at it in terms of payments. Well, it's only $200 a month. Something else that the working class person does is they say, well, I need something that's safe. I deserve something that's reliable. I can't afford for this car to break down. When you hear yourself making these kinds of rationalizations, I hear people do it all the times with home purchases as well. Well, my kids need a space to play. People think they deserve all these things and they're not actually looking at the bottom line. When you hear yourself making these levels of rationalizations, know that it's not entrepreneurial class thinking. It's working class thinking. That's sort of an evolution that you need to make. One of the first things I started doing when I started getting into entrepreneurial stuff, Ian, is I started reducing my debt load and I started listening to Dave Ramsey. I feel like that's a great first 
step. If you want to become an entrepreneur, you can't have a bunch of debt. Yeah, you can't have hardly any debt. It totally changes your ideas about the way that you live too when you don't have debt and when you've got some cash on hand. The quality of my life with certain purchases, my iPhone 4, I couldn't live without it. I absolutely love the thing, but I couldn't live without my iPhone 3G either. I bought my iPhone 4 for only $100, turns out. I can only think of a few purchases in my life right now that have really changed my life. My computer, my phone, maybe a pair of headphones, some health insurance, not much. Think about that next time you go out and purchase some shoes and some clothes and some drapes and all that stuff that you probably don't really need. Number two, millionaires are looking at their financial goals from 40,000 feet and in the long term. Let me give you a little math problem, Ian, that I did. One of the things that really inspired me to quit my job was in fact a 10-year hypothetical plan. And I encourage all the listeners to sit down and do this. Let's assume best case scenario, I've got a $100,000 job. And after taxes and some other stuff, I'll take home 60 grand of that. Let's say I'm an exemplary citizen and I managed to save 15% of my salary. No catastrophe, no black swan, nothing crazy happening. Just managed to save all that money. Nothing comes along that makes me have to spend that money. At the end of 10 years, 10 years in a consistent job, all things best case, 100 grand a year, which is nothing to sneeze at, I'd have 85 grand in the bank. Now someone can test the math on that, but thereabouts. The point is, is you want to ask yourself if that trade is worth it to you. That's the millionaire mindset. You look at that and say, am I going to work 10 years for $85,000? The working class person says, I pull in 85 grand a year. Whereas the entrepreneurial person looks at that equation and say, no, I'm going to have to work 10 years at $100,000 a year and no emergencies and no frivolous vacations or family members getting in the way. All things being equal, then you've made 85 grand. This is really important. It's incredible how people don't evaluate sort of these long-term financial goals. And what it does is it, it makes the prospect of long-term employment much less appealing when you sort of look at it from this thing. And it can get you more inspired to take the plunge into entrepreneurship. Yeah, that's a really good point. 85 grand can buy a lot, but it definitely can't buy a house in most places in the United States. All right, Ian, the next success trait, making money from businesses is easier than making money from money. And this is interesting because what happens with a lot of working class people is that they'll save up a nut, say five to 10 grand, and then they'll put it in the stock market because everyone's teaching them that investing is really the way to go, right? And one thing that I'm learning from talking to people that have made their money and they've made tons and tons of money and they've got tons of money in the markets and everything is that investing in a marketplace is so much trickier than actually investing in companies that you have insider knowledge of, which is the companies that you run, the companies that you sit on the board of, the companies that you're an angel investor for. The general principle is making money from a business is much easier than making money from making money. And there's a lot of backup for this out on the internet. Mark Cuban is a notable example that says, hey buddy, if you can go out and make money in the stock market, you're a better man than I, but I won't touch the thing. What do you think about this, Ian? Have you ever invested in the stock market or mutual funds or anything like that? I never have. And it's simply because I don't have the information advantage. You know, if I was going to invest in the stock market, I would treat it as gambling and I don't really gamble. So I'm just not into it. There are ways to have somewhat of an information advantage. I just don't have time to do it. And I don't think the returns are very attractive. And I would rather invest in myself or something that I trust or someone that I trust, or like you said, a business, just because I feel much more comfortable with that. In general, the working classes have an over trust in this idea of investing in the stock market. Now, after I've become an entrepreneur and I'm so uncertain about investing money in our business, Ian, we'll sit there on the brink of a $15,000 investment that's maybe even measured over the course of a bunch of months. And we'll just go back and forth on it for hours. I'm so uncertain in a business that I know everything about. To come from that situation, then to look at the confidence that some of my friends have when they're just tossing money into their 
E-Trade account or whatever, it almost seems ridiculous at this point in my entrepreneurial career. Like, how could you possibly know what's going to happen to these companies? I've read a bunch of books on investing and all this stuff. And I've lost some money doing it. It makes sense to me now that somebody like Mark Cuban and our multimillionaire friends would say, hey, just don't bother. Go out and do something that's valuable to people that you can communicate with, deliver them value, and that's how you're going to make money. Next success trait, have no fear of confrontation. This is interesting, one, Ian. What is it about a person that is fearlessness? The new Robert Greene book, he's a guy who wrote 48 Laws of Power, a great book for business people. He wrote this book with 50 Cent. He thinks 50 Cent is an interesting case study because of his fearlessness. And I see this a lot with multimillionaires. They're fearless about walking into a group of people and introducing themselves. They're fearless about uh, firing somebody when they're not performing. They're fearless about this stuff. It's not something that you just come out of the womb with necessarily. I think it's something that you have to be driven to achieve. How fearless do you think you are? You're a pretty fearless guy. Where does that come from? Were you always like that? What are the things that you think people could do to cultivate a sense of fearlessness? I think that you have some of the same traits. A lot of it has to do with not really giving an S. Knowing that it's going to work out one way or another in terms of your vision. I really trust my vision. I trust your vision. And I think that it's going to work out. So that's where this having no fear comes from. I don't really think it's cockiness, maybe a little bit of confidence in the vision. So the no fear and confrontation, if you know what you want, you're not afraid to go get it. And I think most of these guys out there know what they want and they've got a really clear vision for it. Yeah, knowing what you want is so critical. Sometimes people, they just don't see confrontations. They don't see conflicts because they're not going anywhere. If you don't have a bunch of conflicts in your life, it's possible that you're not being ambitious enough in your goal setting because generally when you set a goal, people are going to stand in your way or slow your progress and there's going to be a lot of frustration from that. We deal with this kind of frustration on a daily basis. That's because we've got strong goals. So that's part of it. The other part of it is that magical question, Ian, what's the worst that could happen? Ask yourself that. A lot of fears, Ian, are around financial issues. We're talking about this dichotomy between workers' mindset and entrepreneurs' mindset. Obviously, workers, because they're not looking at this 40,000-foot financial view, they don't have control over their financial life. So they're highly leveraged. They're living a more luxurious lifestyle than an entrepreneur would allow themselves to afford. And that creates a lot of fear as well, because, well, I'm in this thing for the next six years because I got a sweet quad cab truck, you know, four by four, because it snows five times a year. You're totally right to draw those parallels. The worst thing that could happen would be to start from square one. And most of my assets are tied up in the business at this point. And the worst thing that would happen is start at square one. And you know what? We could rebuild it in half the time, if not less. Worst case scenario is pretty cool. Yeah, I'm not really worried about losing it all because I don't have any debt. I'm not in over my head in terms of what I've purchased and everything around me. So there is no real worst case scenario for me. Next millionaire success principle. And this one's really important, Ian. And this is one that we really embody. And a lot of our listeners obviously embody is proactively seek critical feedback, enjoy self-criticism. And a lot of this is tied up a little bit with sort of being egoless. When you have strong goals, you become less easily to offend because if people give me feedback, I see that as fuel to get to my goal. I'm not right. dealing with that at a very local level. Like how does this impact how I feel about myself? Right. A person that has a insecure ego would be somebody that you say something to and they like argue about it. They're clearly not trying to understand it or they're trying to justify their own existence. And you're just kind of like, I don't care. I was listening to Corolla today and he had a really good rant about pointless arguments. Yeah. This is a pretty simple point for people conceptually to understand. It's a very difficult point to internalize if you do get offended easily. I knew an aspiring blogger who looked up to me and met me in person and everything. He had all these plans to basically do the things that I was doing. And so he asked for feedback. He did the right first step. And when I gave him some feedback, he basically just argued against every point I made. This is an attitude that is not going to get you anywhere. I could be wrong. There's no question I could be wrong, but understanding got to be your key element. And it's interesting when I sit with these multi-millionaire guys that 
know way more than I do. It's incredible how intently they listen to me. You know, they're tuned in. It's almost like their sensibility for individuals is their same as their sensibility for markets. Like they've got their ear to the ground. They're trying to get information. This is part of that interpersonal information gathering process. Absolutely proactively seek critical feedback. Proactively seek critical feedback with your mentors is really important too. Proactively seek it with people that you're aspiring to be like. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Ian, you got energy for one more millionaire success trait? All day long, I got it. <laughs> exactly. The last point here, I watched this documentary on Netflix when I, back when I was in uh, the West and had some kicking internet. It was this documentary of Philip Glass. I always admired his music. It's interesting. Sometimes, Ian, when you see these like guys that you sort of idolize as geniuses and then you watch them talk, it's like, well, that guy seems kind of normal. Isn't it weird how it always strikes you how human people are? Yeah. And we sort of mythologize success. And Philip Glass put it in this very humble way. He said, how was I so successful? He said, I woke up early every morning and worked hard all day long. Basically, he just said, you got to put your time in at the piano. And you were hearing a lot more of this from data-driven studies like Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers book. And there's a lot of theories coming out about just putting in your time, time over talent every time. Just get your reps in. And a lot of these millionaires that I'm seeing, they're finding ways to be passionate about their work and put in the hours. There are exceptions to this. There's no question you can be clever. But the vast majority of successful people that I'm seeing, they are just working all the time. They're constantly thinking about their business. They're constantly working. They're simplifying their life. They're simplifying their debt load so that they can put all of their energy into their own projects. And I know, Ian, you love to work and you work an awful lot. What's the value of hours to you in this business? I never regret working. I always regret not working. I always look at myself from a block of time, maybe it's a week or a month, I look back and say, man, I didn't do anything. I didn't accomplish anything good for myself. I'm one of those people, I guess, that is always regretful when I'm not working towards something. It's relatively easy for me to work all day because I just think I'm a schmuck when I haven't done anything. Does that make sense? Yeah. I always come back to this John Mayer quote that I saw on YouTube one time. And he said, stay in on Friday night. Trust me, the parties get better. And uh, Ian, we're living proof of that. Faux show. So let's move on to the quick tips, tricks, and or funny joke section. Well, Ian, one of the biggest problems that everybody has in our niche is managing virtual teams. And we've been through so many different project management things. We've used Google Docs. We still use that a little bit. We've used Basecamp. We've used all this stuff. Well, we've got a new tool that we've implemented about a week and a half ago and really enjoying the way it's working for the team. I don't know if it's going to be a long-term solution yet, but it's something that the listeners should definitely check out if they're managing remote teams. It's from 37signals as well. It's called Campfire. And the reason I never checked out Campfire Campfire in the past is because I thought, well, what does Campfire do that Skype can't do? And some of the developers in our mastermind group, some really sharp guys, pointed out some advantages to using Campfire. Number one, there's no distraction. When I go into Skype, it's a little bit of a cluster nowadays. I mean, I've got a lot of contacts and a lot of people trying to get my attention on Skype, whereas on Campfire, it's just the team. Second thing is, is it's really easy to share code snippets, YouTube videos. You can upload files in there very easily, and they stay in topic-specific chat rooms. That's interesting because say for a couple days you don't have time to work with the team. You can come back a couple days later and see the transcripts complete with files and it's totally searchable and scannable about what everything was talked about. So you could just pull out part of the transcript and maybe write an email saying, oh, I noticed you guys were talking about this. This is the direction we should take it or whatever you want to do. There's another interesting advantage of Campfire, which is there's a little bit of social induced accountability, which is it monitors who's in the rooms and when they came in and when they left. If you've got a 
couple developers that just aren't showing up and contributing to the conversation, people are going to put some pressure on them to sort of show up and conversate and add to the vision. So I like that idea, whereas on Skype, you can just kind of hide and nobody knows where anybody is. It's pretty cheap. I think we're paying $12 a month for our program. We've got about nine or 10 people in there, and it's really been working out great for us. There's also one other thing that we'll link C2. It's called Propane. That's for Mac OS, and there's a version for Windows 2 we'll link to, and that's if you want to run your campfire chat rooms as a desktop client. There's also this interesting little dev trick that you can do. We're still trying to figure this out, but there's a way that you can have little notifications go into your campfire chat room when some of your websites make sales. So that's kind of a cool camaraderie thing. One of the guys on our mastermind call was saying his campfire chat room was so much fun for his employees that after he fired one of them, they asked if they could still hang around in the chat room. So just give you an idea of how you can create this sort of cohesive clubhouse type of environment with a virtual team. And we know it's extremely challenging to do. Anyway, take some of that propane and a light your fire for a cold call. That's not funny, is it? Yeah, buddy, we're working on getting the whole suite now. I think we use high rise. Now we use campfire. What's left? We've been through all 37 signals and stuff. Those guys are just ubiquitous. Anyway, Ian, thanks for joining me on the program. I'll catch you next week. Booyah. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Don't be shy. We've got a mailing list, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Go there, get yourself signed up, and we'll keep you up to date on everything.